Welcome to the Unapologetic Cruise Podcast. We're back for episode 23, where your hosts are Money Talks and Life Math Money. If you're listening from YouTube, be sure to drop that like on your way in. Hit that subscribe. We're going to be posting all future Unapologetic Cruise Podcasts on this channel. And if you're listening from your podcast provider of choice, sit back, relax, let's tune in. What's up, Harsh? Everything is well. Good to have you on video now. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, one of these days when you do your face reveal, you're doing it here. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> How's everything going with you, man? Everything is going really well. You know, I can't believe that we didn't think of having you on video for so long because you were never anon, right? Right. And so, yeah, this it, is my uh, YouTube studio as well. Ah, I see. How do you make a YouTube studio? Like, what do you consider? Because I remember someone telling me that they have lights in their YouTube studio and the lights are so strong that it makes them sweat a lot. I'm surprised you actually noticed that because if you ever watch my first ever YouTube video, I'll give you a little bit of the background. You know one of those ironing boards? No, ironing boards is um, the press iron. You mean that? Right. So let's say you have uh, some clothes. Uh, you have this ironing board, put the clothes on it, and then you start to iron it on top. Uh, so I get the ironing board and I put it right where my YouTube camera is. And then I get these two tiny little lights and I have it like looking at my face. And that's when I started to record. So if you watch my first ever... Uh, like first month of videos, that's the setup. And then one of my friends who lives in downtown Tampa, he called me and he's like, Armani, you have the ugliest studio I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. I was like, I can't believe you, man. And he's one of those tough love kind of guys. Getting no punches. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, uh, what are you doing this Friday? I was like, I don't know. He's like, I'm coming over. I'm going to... Um, create a studio for you and that's when he created the studio and if anyone's curious it's if you go on my youtube channel there's this video i think i have called the dark sides of leadership look at that video and look at the video right before and you'll see the shift so just to answer your question harsh he was the one who set it up for me i'm completely like a newbie when it comes to that i see that you have some books in your background show me yeah so which way yeah so you can see a lot of my books um the bottom row right here oh there we go these are all my short stories so this is the uh, 101 short stories collection uh and each one has tiny short stories around the 800 word range that helps people improve public speaking social skills creative writing and much more and these are um speakeasy is a book that helps with speaking skills uh, level up mentality is about improving mindset and concentration skills and idea machine is a creative writing prompt journal for adults so that's a little preview of my cribs i see damn that's really really cool did you ever watch the show um, mtv cribs growing up i have not tell me more so this is where a lot of these celebrities athletes famous people that uh, they walk you through their living facility and mm -hmm. uh, this was a very popular show in 2005 to 2007 and there were some scandals seen, that came 
sorry, go ahead. I've seen with, similar stuff on YouTube. With MTV Cribs? Not MTV Cribs, but, you know, some big YouTuber kind of showing you their house. Yeah, so it's the similar concept. Like, but mm -hmm. a scandal came out later on where when people found out that MTV Cribs were going to come to their place, they rented out a crib to um, show uh, the cameras. Uh, and there were like a few celebrities that got busted for it. Like, this isn't their real crib. They rented this one. Do you think that celebrities have so much pressure on them to maintain this showy image that... Like, I mean, you go to a celebrity's house, right? just filming a show about their house, and turns out they live in, like, a dump. <laughs> you know, the house isn't, like, very good. <laughs> like, that wouldn't work so well for the celebrity. <laughs> I mean, it's bad press for them, man. So I can see how the pressure incentivizes them to have a bigger house or, like, to appear more glamorous, at least. Right. Especially around 2005, Harsh, where, you know, internet wasn't that big. I mean, people weren't consuming content on YouTube, podcasts like this. They were mainly all watching the same stuff. So I think a celebrity back then is much different than a celebrity nowadays. Yeah, back then, you know how today you can become a celebrity out of your own violation in the sense that, okay, I, Harsh Strongman, I decide to make content, I'm a bit popular, and I will become a celebrity. Cool. You, Arman, you can decide to do the same thing. But back then, you needed someone's approval to be a celebrity. You needed to be, say, you go to an audition, the guy approves you, whether he likes you or not, depending on whatever factors. Okay, are you pretty enough? You know, like, does he like where you are from? You know, does he like your story? The Is casting he couch. with you or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a lot of factors that were not really relevant went into you know, whoever makes these decisions. So now anyone can, everyone has a fair shot versus back then where there were gatekeepers. Yeah. What do you think that's done for creativity as a whole? It's definitely boosted. I mean, people like us are on the net now, right? And we would never be approved by some Hollywood guy. I mean, a guy from India, a guy from Bangladesh. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> They're over here talking about all these random micro little details. Do you, at this stage, consider yourself a celebrity? I hope not. I don't want to be a celebrity. It sounds like a pain. Yeah. I happen to know a couple of celebrities and their life sucks in the sense that whenever they go out, they have to wear these glasses and they have to basically try and blend in. And, you know, even when they're having lunch, like or having dinner with me or some something like that. Oh, you know Random them like people, that? Yeah, I know a lot of celebrities because I used to be an accountant and I used to work with some of them. Oh. So random people will show up and then ask for a photograph. And it's like the guy has to get up from his meal, take a photo <laughs> with this random chick. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that, man. It sounds I glamorous at first, but if you actually do it, it sounds awful to me. Yeah, it it would suck. Like it would suck to be them. And I can see that even they don't like it because it's like your entire life is scrutinized to the point mm -hmm. where okay, so let's say that you kind of you're going out and you kind of like slip on the street, and someone mm -hmm. takes a photo of you, and next day the photo is in some magazine, and you're like, oh okay, 
this moment of my life is recorded forever for everyone right and then you have to maintain an image where okay so i can say certain things i can't say certain things because everyone knows who i am it's like you can never be free you can never have conversations like we're having because as, sorry go ahead well i mean just to add on to what you're saying there's certain times where they're done giving nine autographs and they finally want to go back to their meal then the 10th person comes is asking for an autograph and now the celebrity is like no i mean i just signed nine people's autographs and this guy's like all right i'm gonna record you uh, look at this guy so mean he won't <laughs> even give me an autograph and that's all people will see so i mean that's not pleasant for them the celebrity i mean the nine ten autograph thing typically happens when the celebrity is like really 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 big but the general celebrity doesn't have as many people following them around but you still have to be careful you know i mean let me give you an example okay or like let me explain it a bit further so for like for people like us we decide what we say because we are kind of self made but with people like them they have to deal with producers directors and they need the approval of the entire industry to get work which means they can and can't say certain things they can and can't act in a certain way and their entire life is essentially a management of public relations versus with us we can really be true and honest and be ourselves so i think that is the truest curse of a celebrity mhm well you bring up a good point where if you have endorsement deals to a certain extent then automatically you're going to have to to some people take orders and have you ever heard of floyd mayweather junior i've heard of floyd boxer. mayweather he's a boxer he's a mma guy i don't know the junior he has a kid so there's floyd mayweather senior uh and there's floyd mayweather junior who's a boxer uh you most likely talking about him and there was like this report that came out a couple of years ago that talked about how he's so rich he was one of the richest athletes out there but he doesn't have that many endorsement deals because he's always surrounded in some sort of controversy and domestic abuse and that Sounds sort of like stuff <laughs> well the thing is that's why a lot of these big brands don't want to work with him but since looking at his business harsh i would say he is one of the closest to like free you know he doesn't have to answer to anyone he owns his own promotion company he owns his own like whatever matches he wants to do he owns his own stable of fighters like he's the closest thing to a boss you know when some people are like oh i'm a boss but they have people to answer to i don't necessarily mm-hmm. know if those people are bosses but what floyd mayweather junior is doing i would say that's a boss move i would agree with that in he fact owns everything. You know- Oh, he does. From his business model, like the entire supply chain, it's under his um he owns Mayweather Promotion. He's the own fighter for his um deals. Um he owns his own social media so he could promote himself. So he owns the entire supply chain. So it's very difficult to cancel him. So, I mean, I'm sure you heard recently he fought Logan Paul. I am aware that um Blogan Paul has fights and in his fights they compare Instagram Instagram followers so high to weight and Instagram followers I saw that on Twitter but right. I don't really know that I so I didn't a, watch the fight Yeah so he's a professional boxer fighting a YouTuber if he had this management team 
that's not going to fly. They're going to be like, Floyd, we're shutting you down. But since Floyd owns the entire supply chain, he'll say, well, I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Now, granted, that's good for Floyd, but it's not always good for the consumers because there's been some criticism with Floyd that says um, he doesn't fight the people often that the people uh, want him to fight. So there's a pro and a con. It's good for the actual guy who's the boss, but it's not always good for the consumer. How is it not good for the consumer in the sense that the consumer doesn't own him? He can fight who he wants. It's his life. If he doesn't want to fight someone, he doesn't want to fight him. <laughs> it's not Man, like the would... public owns the guy and like he got a <laughs> He's in like a listed company, right? Where everyone else is a shareholder. And now he has to do what everyone else wants him to do. Mm-hmm. He can do what he wants. And if this is what he wants to do, then this is what he wants to do. I would agree with you, man. But there's been a few too many times where, because still, I mean, there's a legacy thing as well, where he wants to be known as, I mean, he calls himself TBT. The, I don't even know what that stands for, like the best ever, or TBE, the best ever. So to be the best ever boxer, you need to fight the appropriate boxers at the right time. And one thing on his legacy that took a hit was that he wasn't fighting Manny Pacquiao when they were both at the like the the top now granted I mean there were some things with Manny Pacquiao uh, like it's a business at the end of the day Uh, but I disagree with the point where you know he he doesn't have to answer to anyone because then in some ways the same people that he's seeking admiration for in terms of being the best ever um, you can't at one point be like oh, well, I want to be the best ever, but I'm going to fight whoever I want to fight. That's actually a phrase in boxing called cherry picking. So I can't. I don't think you could be the greatest bas- or boxer of all time if you're cherry picking. Probably in the sense that, I mean, if you're the greatest, then you have to fight the greatest, but it could just be a marketing slogan. You know, he might not actually be believing it. Sounds like it because this whole entertainment industry is more marketing than reality. All I can say is that it's his life. Whoever he wants to fight, it's his choice. I mean, think from his perspective, okay? If he fights someone who's like really strong and he loses, then what? <laughs> That's not even ambiguous anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Then, Well, this is one of the reasons why UFC is overtaking boxing in so many ways. Because with UFC, if you want to see a fight happen... And the majority of the audience is like, we need to see this. It's going to happen. While with boxing, it could take like five to six years before it, it finally happens. Um, so with boxing, there's five not... Five to six years, okay. Yeah, it's annoying, man. Because eventually Floyd Mayweather fought Pac- uh, Pacquiao. But they were so much older. We're just like, man, I mean, we're still going to watch it. But it wasn't at the peak, you know? Yeah, it's like me fighting Muhammad Ali today. Like, right. <laughs> I, I'm not even a trained boxer, but the guys are so old that anyone could beat him. I am assuming. Yeah, so it, 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 there is no glory in that. For sure. So, what's your? I, I mean, you, do you watch boxing? I do not watch any sport whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Although I used to box earlier. Before my wrist started messing me up. You mentioned something about that. So I've gotten a lot of wrist injuries over time. I used to play tennis. My right wrist kept getting injured. You know, sometimes the ball would hit it. 
then I, in boxing, you're pounding your wrist, right? Poof, poof, poof. And one time, this was like the killing blow, you could say, or like this really hurt my wrist was when I was overhead pressing and the weight was not super heavy, but it was heavy enough. It was one plate, 60 kg. And the bar, one side of the bar didn't rack. So it twisted my entire wrist backwards. And I don't think it ever healed completely because my right wrist still kind of doesn't feel as good as my left wrist. It feels slightly loose. And every few months it starts aching. I have to take NSAIDs to like Ooh. make the ache go away. Um, yeah, so it's not like perfect. My wrist isn't perfect. And the reason I'm not like boxing again is I don't want to pound that wrist again against the bag and damage it even further because I need my hands to write and type and use the mouse, which is, you know, how I make my living, right? Mm -hmm. So I would rather not know boxing and still be able to use a computer versus, you know, <laughs> we like, you know take that risk. I don't think it makes sense. I do intend on learning wrestling soon, though. Wrestling. So you're, in terms of sports, you're more of a combat sports kind of guy. I like lifting weights. I like powerlifting. I like swimming. I like badminton. And I like boxing. I used to like boxing. Okay. So wrestling now, yeah. I used to do karate earlier, but turned out to be super useless because <laughs> there is no sparring. And as much as you kick in the air, you never really realize. Like, for example, like you do karate and you're learning in the air and you go against a boxer, you're going to get beaten up because you yeah. have no experience in actual fighting against an active person who's resisting you. So let's say you're doing the high kick, okay? You're like kicking someone's face. And let's say you miss. And if you miss, you're screwed because you have no idea what to do when people retaliate. So you're basically learning how to, say, get the first knockout by kicking in the air. Versus with kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, you kind of like have an active person who's fighting back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes all the difference. That's what makes the fight realistic. I can see that because... I went up in karate. I, I went all the way from white belt to black belt. And I did this when I was 15. And there were a few times I was thinking what you were saying. I mean, the whole like, oh, oh, like the forms. And we're like memorizing it. And I'm thinking, what am I going to use this in an actual fight? I'm not going to actually do these weird little forms. Exactly. There are some things that I like with karate. They teach you how to kick properly, how to punch. I mean, I wish they did more of that versus teaching us these. And people who do karate, they know what I, I'm talking about when I say forms. Have you done karate before, by the way, Harsh? Yeah, I did karate for many years, actually. What build did you go to? I don't know. The guy just taught karate. He didn't like teach the belt. Okay, so yeah. So for our one, you know, we went from uh, white belt and it just keeps going up different colors. And then mm -hmm. uh, black belt, there's different degrees as well. So if you want to invest in karate for a long time, you can you can keep learning and learning more. But there came a certain point when I turned 17, me and my brother were like, oh man, let's stop going to karate and let's go to the gym instead. <laughs> and that's what that's what we did. So you know, I remember in karate we had this thing called um, kata, if you know what that is. It's like a dance. It's a dance in karate. Yeah, in karate, it's like a step of like you know, it's like a step of moves. You have to memorize, like turn around, punch, 
That's no, what no, I'm no, talking no. about. I'm, I'm calling it form. I think you're calling it kata. Kata, yeah. yeah. I did Goju Ryu Karate, so I'm not really sure. Like, I think you must have done Shotokan or something. But that kata thing was so useless. It was like, what's the point of this? Like, are we dancing here? Like, am I going to fight? Like, <laughs> like if I fight three people, are they going to like attack in a predetermined way? You know? <laughs> Bro, that's literally what I'm talking about. That, that we called it forms. You're, I guess you're calling it kata. When I was doing it, I was like, this is such a waste of time. And one time, me and my instructor, we got heated with one another because me and my brother started karate at the same time. Uh, so. We had this memorized where we knew when we, we were going to get stripes. So you get three stripes or so, and then you go to the next belt. So one day, uh, this instructor gives my brother a stripe, and he walks right past me. And I was like, did he forget? So I go to him afterwards. I'm like, Mr. Sheldon, uh, what's good? You didn't give me the stripe. And he's like, it's because you're not doing the form with much enthusiasm. Bro, I was so freaking mad because I'm like, <laughs> I was like, this useless shit right here. You're mad that I'm not doing it with enthusiasm. It's like he wants me to dance with enthusiasm, and I was like, man, I was so pissed. Your smile is not wide enough. <laughs> and my brother's like, yeah, you just gotta do it with some more enthusiasm. I was like, this is a waste of time, bro. But with karate, though, I mean, there were I would say pros and cons. Like, there's some good stuff. And there's some useless stuff. I wish they focus more on the good stuff, like just the basics. I don't need the cute stuff, like the forms and everything. I just need you to teach me how to punch and kick properly and defend but myself. See, Arman, you're trying to learn kickboxing by learning karate, which makes no sense. Might as well just learn kickboxing, right? Yeah. I mean, after our karate classes, there was another thing called Krav Maga. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's an Israeli style, right? Where they're, it's essentially like they're trying to kill you, like in the military. It's not like a sport. It's more like, I want to kill you. Yeah. So I was like, Dad, I want to do that. I don't want to do karate anymore. But around that time, our interest waned and we just joined the gym instead. Ah. Uh... I've heard Krav Maga is mostly like just kicking the guy in the balls in different ways and forms. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I mean, I saw a lot of grappling going on. So Krav Maga, from what I understand, is developed by the Israeli army. And the intention is to kill people or fight back. And it's not like a sport. It's like, you know how in boxing you can't like grab someone's throat and kill them or, you know, put your fingers in their eyes and things like that. But Krav Maga isn't like a sport. It's made for the army, right? So it has stuff like that. Like, you know, you fish hook someone's um, cheek, you put your fingers in their eyes, you kick them in the balls, etc. So a lot of the moves that are there are essentially meant for winning and not really meant for like, you know, punching someone and things like that. That just sounds like a street fight to me. Yeah, but it sounds like a very, um, very, very realistic not realistic in the sense a very violent or effective form of fighting but it's hard to practice in the sense that i mean you learn to kick someone in the balls but how are you going to practice that mm -hmm. <laughs> like I mean, you're just in, in their eyes like screw you <laughs> yeah i mean with fighting in general harsh i mean how do you know what someone else is going to do like you never fully know and i actually had a question for you i wanted to ask you this in one of our episodes but it seems like we're in a good spot have you ever been in um like a bar fight or a brawl 
I have not. Never yet. Oh, okay. Um, I have. I don't drink. And, I don't drink. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, this is where I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I don't drink and stuff. Where, let's say hypothetically you don't drink and you go to a club atmosphere and you find yourself going there every Friday. I mean, just the way that things are set up, especially when other people are drinking, I find it very difficult for someone who routinely goes out to never get in a brawl or a fight before. Uh, so that's why I was initially asking, because, I mean, you're not really a club guy, but I think some of our listeners, they may be at that stage right now where they're like, I'm going out a lot. I mean, will I ever find myself in a scenario like this? And I would say chances are, I mean, there's a likelihood. Um we got like me, I actually broke this down in one of my YouTube videos a while back. Um, but I talked about this brawl that myself and a few friends got into. And it was like, you know, one enters like the club night thinking that they're going to get in a brawl, but it just happens. And you never know like how the person you're fighting is going to fight back. So I think it's difficult. It's good to do your precautions for fighting beforehand, but it's very difficult to practice fully. You're, there's always going to be that level of um, thinking on the feet that's going to be there. How did you get in a brawl in the first place? Man, we're going to go there. Okay, so it was it was um, downtown Tampa and myself and a few. Uh, so it was not too many guys. We actually went with a good amount of girls to the outside uh, venue, um, which is going to come back to bite us in the butt later on. So I am leaving and um, the bouncer says, hey, yeah, you could uh, come back in. Uh, just let them know that you are already in the club. Uh, so I went to go out and pick up the car. I come back in and there's a new bouncer and he won't let me in. So I forgot what happened, but I was like yelling at my brother and like a few people to come out. And this guy's like, yo, don't yell like that. I was like, man, you're not letting me back in. Uh, I was supposed to be allowed back in. And long story short, he got angry. He was like this bouncer trying to prove he's a tough guy. And he pushed me. And one of the other guys that I was with, he was a tiny little guy, bro. He was like <laughs> five foot two. And he, he's like, don't you push Armani? And he pushes this like six foot tall bouncer. And from there... Um, uh, the bouncer throws a hit at the tiny guy. Uh, that's when I hit the bouncer. And then my brother comes out and everyone around us are girls. So they're not going to fight. So we're like, yo, go get the car. So we're over here fighting, man. It was three against, I think like 16 people because they were crowded up. And it was just haymakers that we were throwing. I break it down more in one of my YouTube videos called cheat code to people skills and what happened harsh was um it just showed how fast things could escalate and then after the fight was um done because the car came i, I we all went to the car the bouncer's like you guys are banned from the club we end up going back next week and the guy couldn't recognize us um, <laughs> <laughs> he kept looking at me bro he just like you look very familiar. Did we go to school together or something? Not knowing <laughs> <laughs> the week before we were we were fighting each other. Um, so Wait, how did you not die in a 16 versus 3 fight? Honestly, man, I have no freaking clue. Because 
I didn't drink that night either. Um, I, I was um, the DD. So I was like getting all the girls, you know, I was taking care of everyone. So it, it also showed me uh, that you don't necessarily have to drink, but your environment can all sometimes pull you into these different situations that you weren't expecting. So I don't know what happened. I mean, I'm pretty sure like something in their hind brain was like, okay, we're completely outnumbering them. Let's not try to like kill these guys. So I don't know if they were going as hard, but for us, since it's three of us, we're, we were like going all in. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, folks. I, I don't condone violence. So uh, <laughs> just a quick little disclaimer. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's one of the, the brawls. You know, it's, uh, just to take the story one more level, because I see you laughing. You're going to laugh a little bit more. The next day, it's myself and the other two guys that were in the brawl. We're explaining what happened. And we have this friend. Um, I'm just going to call him Gus, because I think he listens to this podcast. I don't even know who listens to this podcast. So let's just call him Gus. Gus Hi, is yeah. Gus is like, man, you guys... Uh, the bouncer should be happy that I wasn't uh, with you guys because when I fight, I fight. So he just said that. And I was just like, what does that mean? Do you know what that means, Harsh? Like, when I fight, I fight? Mm, it could be like fake bravado or real bravado, depending on the guy. So that's what we were going to find out. So he kept using this as leverage that he was in the brawl the night before. So for the next couple of weeks, he kept saying, when I fight, I fight. That was like his new slogan or his new battle cry. I don't know. So when you keep talking about how you can fight, the universe has this um, uh, comedic nature about it where it's going to put you in a situation to see if you can fight. So a couple of months passes by, Harsh, and I'm with Gus and a few of the guys. We go into the club. Uh, one of the guys stumbles just a little bit, and the bouncer's like, oh, my goodness, this guy's drunk. You're out of here, bud. And we just paid a $20 cover. So we're just like, okay, we'll leave, but you got to give us our money back. And the bouncers are like, no, nah, I don't care. We're not going to give you your money back. So it's looking like it's going to be another brawl, but we don't want it to get that We're not got 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, so we're over here trying to use our words. But Gus is like... You guys don't want to. Uh, you guys don't want to find out what I'm about. He's like ye yelling at the bouncers. He's like getting in their face, uh, pointing at their chest. And one of the bouncers is like, "If you touch me again, I'm going to punch you." So now we're gonna see. Uh, all the friends were looking at each other. We're like, "Don't these bouncers know? When Gus fights, he fights." <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Let me play some dramatic music. Now we're using the software, right? So okay, you, you got the joke. Wait. Uh, 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 let's try this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's dramatic, but okay. Anyways, what happened was, so Gus is like, uh, he's like pointing at the guy. He's like jabbing at his chest. Guy's like, you touch me again, I'm going to punch you. And once again, Gus jabs his chest. And this guy, big bouncer, cocks his hand back and punches Gus right on the face. Gus falls on the ground. His glasses fall off and he's like over here searching for his glasses. He puts it on and he's like looking at me and the guys and he's like, let's go, let's go. And we're like, like, let's go and isn't let's fight 
or let's go as in let's run away. You got to be a little bit more specific right now, man. Mm -hmm. And then Gus is like, no, no, let's go. And he starts running away right after he got punched in the face. And we're looking at the bouncers and we're like, all right, man, you could keep the 20 bucks. And we start chasing Gus. And once we find Gus, he's like under this lamp. It looks like a movie scene on the phone with his mom crying. He's like... <laughs> he's like, I love this so <laughs> He's like, they got me, mom. They got me. This dude is crying like tears. Through like a couple of months before, he's telling us he's like this fighter, and now he got hit and he's crying. So tell me, Harsh. I mean, doesn't the universe have this funny comedy about it? I mean, he kind of put it on himself, didn't he? Where if you claim something about yourself, you should be able to back it up. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's going to destroy all of your credibility instantly forever. Because I bet everyone knows who Gus is, who knows you and is watching this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, what happened was, dude, this is why I don't always trust people's words. Like, um, we tried to hit up Gus after that incident. Like, listen, man, we're not going to this isn't a big deal or anything but Gus didn't want to hang out and then I would say a week or two later he threw this big party where there were a bunch of people and all the people from uh, the club uh, the, the day that he was crying and he seems very enthusiastic in the party and we're like okay that's good I mean I guess he forgot about the incident he made peace with it then he gathers all these people in a circle and he's like Yo, guys, you won't believe it, man. Like me, Armani, all these guys, we got in this brawl uh, because this guy sucker punched me. So he's framing it like he wasn't expecting it. And then he just got hit. And all the other people were like, oh, whoa, man. Um, you know, Gus got sucker punched. And Gus wraps it up with, because everyone here, y'all know, when I fight, I fight. So in Gus's perspective, he didn't get beat up. He just uh, got sucker punched. That was his takeaway from this whole thing. Damn. <laughs> it's like how your brain changes things to protect your ego, you know? Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think was the reason for that? I mean, do you think it was an ego thing? I think people have a very strong urge to protect their own self-image in their head. I mean, like, like, let me give you an example. Like when you read stories of people who were slavers, okay, when people are like torturing their black slaves that they bought from Africa, they know it's wrong, but they kind of like try to justify it morally to themselves. Like they, they try to like make it seem like it's okay for whatever reason. Like, okay, the Negroes are supposed to be this way and whatever, whatever, you know. They they understand that this what they're doing is not right, but they don't want to live with the shame. So they change the theory in their head. They mangle up their thoughts to kind of make it seem like, okay, this is fine. The same thing is happening here where, for example, I think a lot of criminals might be doing this as well, where they change the crime in their head to be out of some kind of desperation or someone else's fault or whatever, whatever, just to not have a negative connotation associated with themselves. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's also the ego thing, you know, like people will try to protect their ego. They will 
like you know how like every girl has toxic boyfriends and she's never the toxic one in any relationship mm-hmm. the same thing right oh I, that's a good parallel it's a good example just people in toxic relationships or even like those employees that's like you know my boss uh boss number one asshole boss number two bigger asshole boss number three the biggest asshole i'm like man you run into a lot of assholes don't you <laughs> something may be off with you right it's like yeah, everyone's but- racist that's why i'm like not doing well like are you sure everyone's racist like everyone with that understanding though harsh like how do you normally tell if you could take someone seriously or if they're completely psing something you can usually tell by the past history for example if someone has a history of going to jail you know multiple times and they're saying when i fight i fight you should take <laughs> them seriously you know <laughs> versus if it's like some corporate employee who sits at his desk yeah that guy's just saying that so you should take their past into account for example like if someone says i'm going to do this like i'm going to like build a company okay like i'm going to start a business and 6 months later they're like i'm going to start a business one year later i'm going to start a business but they never start mm-hmm. can you take what they say in the future more seriously no right versus when someone says okay i'm going to lose weight and 3 months later they've lost 5 kilos 6 kilos 10 kilos then 3 months later again they're even like thinner or they look even better then you know that you should take them more seriously because they have a demonstrated history of actually following through mm-hmm. so i think unless you look at someone's past you can't judge whether you should take them seriously or not i mean it's a lot like you know how a woman will say or let me not not give too many female examples <laughs> let me let me say a guy okay you know how a guy will sometimes say i'm going to change my life from tomorrow and he's been saying this from like last year like tomorrow 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 i'm going to start eating right so today i'm going to eat whatever i want but from tomorrow i'll eat healthy and i'll start focusing on xyz things and if they're saying that and they don't look different behave different in a month you know that they can't be their words are meaningless their word has no value So I think yeah. you should look at someone's history like, without looking at someone's past you can't really judge them. Out of curiosity though, well, do you believe that people can change? Especially if they Some had a toxic people, past? Yes. I do believe people can change over a long period of time, but it's still good to be careful and I would say that the person's near past like the last 2 years are more relevant than they are say 10 years ago. Okay. I'm asking Harsh because there's been a few times where I've seen someone have like this moment that was such a strong moment that instantaneously altered them. So I wonder if that's in your psyche at all. Like is that how you process decisions? And I can give you an example where hmm. I had I had this one buddy who was using dating apps to um meet people, right? And he gained a lot of weight. Let's just say yeah, he was fat. Uh, but he used to be very muscular. So those were the pictures that he posted on the dating app. And eventually he met someone that he vibed with. 
And she wanted to do a FaceTime with him. So he's just like, oh, shit, man. Like, she thinks I look like the pictures. I'm over here fat. Uh, so <laughs> it was hilarious. He, like, he FaceTimed by just showing his nose up. And he's like, oh, yeah, for some reason, like, I dropped the bottom of my phone. It cracked. Um, and she, she liked the call a lot. And she vibed with him a lot. Uh, she just saw his nose up, right? <laughs> and she, she was like, hey, you know, I really want to meet you in person. Like, when can we meet in person? And when he heard that, he's like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I'm, like, I really like this girl, and I'm supposed to meet her in person, and I'm fat. So he had been drinking a lot of alcohol, smoking a lot of weed. And he had, I would say, eight weeks until he was going to meet her. And, bro, he went on, like, this insane, like, weed diet. Like, he completely cut out weed completely cut out alcohol, started going to the gym consistently. I shed off a lot of fat and almost looked like the uh, the self when he used to be big. And once he met her, uh, they ended up getting married. And he never touched weed or alcohol after that moment because it was such a strong moment that just woke him up. So I was wondering if you notice stuff like that. Do you factor stuff like that in when deciding if someone changed? In my experience, people don't change in a day. It takes a while. And I mean, this guy might be exceptional, but I don't know anyone else, anyone in my life who went through a very, very sudden change like that. You know, sometimes they do, but it's like, okay, someone got diagnosed with cancer and now they have to like emergency change their life. Mm -hmm. That, yes. But I don't know anyone who changed their life in a day. No, I don't know that. Gotcha. I can say that it for sure does happen, but you can't really rely on these things, right? Like these are like out of the blue. It's like COVID happened. Who would have known? No one. Right, right. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where it was just like, boom, and it just put you in a new path? Not really, not really. I was, there was nothing that changed me in a day. It, It was a process that happened over many years. But what I can say is that sometimes you discover something that significantly alters you in the sense you find an answer to a problem that you were facing for a long time and then you can start doing it right. For example, let me give you an example for this. I hurt my shoulder once in the gym back when I was 17 or 16, I don't know. And I had to go to a physiotherapist. And the physiotherapist, the first thing she told me was that my posture is not right. And she kind of like told me what right posture looks like. And that instantly changed my personality because now I can be in right posture because I know what it looks like. Versus mm-hmm. before, I had no idea I was in bad posture. You're like sometimes ignorant you, of that. Yeah, I was ignorant of that. Sometimes you might just learn something that you don't know. And that can significantly change things in a day. This is a good experiment, by the way. Take a camera and just record your everyday life. Like, you need to forget that the camera exists for this to work, but use a GoPro, whatever, and just record yourself talking to people, behaving every single day. And you can see how you are from a third person's perspective. And that will give you a lot of insight because even when things are off with you, people are so polite that they will generally not tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, they will... Like they will just adjust with you. They will not tell you that something is wrong with you. For example, if I see, if if you have a weird behavior or something going on, 
that you're not, you, you aren't noticing people are not likely to tell you but if you record yourself interacting with people you will notice these things because then you are seeing yourself from an outside perspective are you saying it's a thought experiment or do you recommend that someone do it do it do it get a get, get a camera and record yourself interacting with people and just however you sit etc over a period of a day and you will find that there are several things that can be improved for example recently uh business partner of mine was looking at a picture of mine and she was telling me that i was standing in a weird way and i was like what do you mean weird way and she told me that my hands are kind of like flaring outside in the sense that my palm is almost open like it's like okay that that did look weird now that i notice it and then i was able to just correct it right i just need to turn my hand a bit and it looks much better like i look so much broader now mm-hmm. but because no one tells you this stuff mm-hmm. you just don't come to know you just have no clue about it yeah i had no idea i think just instantly just turning your hand a bit inwards makes you look so much bigger because the hand isn't like going left and right so much i'm trying to picture what you're saying like you had your palm on your waist or something no not in my waist what i mean to say is okay so have you seen the pictures of a guy in the gym who acting like they have fake traps yeah like they're standing like that yeah but instead of like having fake traps it's a little similar where uh, like after your elbow your elbow kind of like tilts to the right so if you turn your elbow inward mm-hmm. it look much better okay okay i, I think and i, I didn't realize that when i was posing for photographs that's what i was doing because when i was posing for photographs i would crack my posture and everything so that it looks better and i would like make it look weird Dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I have this cousin who is such a cool guy and he's not really my cousin, he's a good like, I guess a family friend and we just when we're introducing each other, I will we'll just say cousins just for formality's sake. And we're cool, very very charismatic guy. Um can strike up small talk with anyone. However, anytime we take a picture or he's in a picture in his instagram he does this goofy face like this like <laughs> if you're listening from audio folks uh picture zoolander uh i believe owen wilson and ben stiller from face. zoolander you're like i'm like at first i don't want to tell him that because every photo is like that and i don't know if like he has some sort of affinity for this facial gesture but one day i, I just had enough i'm like hey um You know you pose in a very strange way with your face. I mean, your body everything like you're posing okay, but your face you keep doing. And I'm like, <laughs> you look very strange. And people who are probably seeing you for the first time on Instagram or they don't really know you so they're like, you know, stalking you on Instagram, they are probably getting turned off by this, man. And he's like, "Me? No, no, no. Um I don't look like that." and he's staring at the picture not seeing what's wrong and then as soon as i bring it up uh, along with another guy multiple people are bringing it up they're like yo yo they're right like your your face you keep doing that and that's when he had that realization he's like yeah i actually have no clue why i'm doing that for i still don't know man i think he was trying to look like this um suave looking dude uh, but now it is he just does like this gentle smile and his photos look normal again So I know exactly what you're talking about where you're just ignorant on something and you just need a tell it like it is friend to tell it like it is. 
Yeah, I think the most valuable friends are the guys who just tell you like it is because then you can actually improve. Mhm. You know, I had like a big revelation kind of that kind of changed my dating life. So the thing I learned was that girls are only interested in emotions and not in things like not in logical things. So earlier when I would go on a date, I would talk about super things like, you know, like computers and whatever, you know, whatever was on my mind. <laughs> and I would bomb all the dates. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them, but you know what I mean, like it, it's less successful as a strategy. Right. And then I remember reading this book. It was like the Book of Pook, and the book was like when you're with a girl just focus on having fun like think of it like, is this topic of conversation fun or not is she going to be entertained and that is like oh ah i see interesting it's a new language it's like a missing link in the sense that you know how you when you discover electricity now you can do a lot of things like building tractors etc cetera, etc cetera, like making the electric tr- engine it's like mm. it's like discovering a new fundamental element and yeah. now this enables like a lot of different other things so i think a lot of people change significantly when they discover some fundamental thing that they were missing earlier that's so accurate because the guys like let's say a guy is talking to his girl she's venting and i believe you made a tweet about this a guy's mind is like problem solved like okay, okay she's venting she's giving me her problems you do x y and z you do x y and z and the guy's just solving the problems for her uh, and he has the right intent harsh but that's not what she wants she wants you to just listen you know she doesn't want you to solve the problems she wants you to uh practice your listening skills and you know be a sounding board so the guy who's perceiving life through logic alone has the right intention but it's still making a mistake. So yeah, I mean um I completely get your point with what you're saying. Oh, for reference, uh, the tweet said something like um when a woman is complaining about something, your instinct as a guy is to give solutions, okay? Like do this, do that. But what really works is that women aren't really looking for solutions. They're looking for consolation, they're looking for someone to listen to and they just want to talk about the problems. So the solution for a guy is to just like say okay i understand and just console her and pretend that you're listening and you'll do much better than if you were giving her real solutions so that's the tweet i can say it works this is something i learned from pure experience i was like ah i see i see mm-hmm. and it, it it's so weird as a guy like why would you not want to solve your problem but it's just how women are you know they want to talk about it get it out of their system before they want to solve it right and yeah guys and like you know to be honest guys are not the right people for this like we're not meant to like waste our lives listening to women's problems right <laughs> but today sometimes you have to do that all i can say is that she's using you as a rubber duck you know what a rubber duck is the toy yeah the toy so in programming if you're stuck you or you have a bug in your program there's a technique where you explain your program line by line to a duck to a toy okay so this line is supposed to do this this is supposed to do this this is supposed to do this and in the process of explaining it you will understand what you're doing wrong and you will be able to solve the bug so women are using ban as rubber ducks 
she isn't like using you as a solution board she's using you as a rubber duck okay i want to talk about my problem and please hear me out so that i can like process my emotions and move on to the next step mhm but until someone tells you that or until you have enough experience to learn that how are you supposed to know sometimes it could even be through experience where like even sometimes guys like let's say they're having a long time uh, of just painful moments especially as a startup entrepreneur where not too many people speak your language sometimes when you're with your friends you just want to vent i, I mean you want that's why i think it's smart for guys to have this brotherhood where mm-hmm. sometimes the pressure gets a lot so just talking to your brotherhood be like yo man uh can i get a quick call going with you and then boom you're just like airing out some frustrations and they're listening they're not saying like okay you do this 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 so i get the woman's perspective in that regards where before i thought it was the silliest thing i was like why would you vent without wanting solutions and then as once i started entrepreneurship i sort of had that perspective and once i had the perspective for myself that's when it started to make sense like if someone just said like hey a, a women just want to vent i would have understood it like logically but i wouldn't have understood it experientially until i went mm-hmm. through it did you ever go through that like were you just like like do you have a brotherhood of guys that you just talk to sort of most of them are online or business partners and things like that they're not like it's not the friends equivalent where we hang out at a coffee shop every day mm-hmm. but definitely i have people i can talk to but in my experience no one ever needs to went that much yeah yeah you you don't want to be doing it like every day but it's like once out of the blue moon i i think that i'm not going to judge you for it if you need that for sure not no judgment but in my experience i've never needed to went ever in my life Mm-hmm. except maybe when i was a kid when i was like super mad about something you know yeah for sure um so folks you you guys are uh, hopefully learning a lot uh, be sure to drop that like uh, if you're still tuned in from youtube and be sure to subscribe to the channel um so harsh i have i have a few of your tweets pulled up so anytime you see me looking to the side i'm not getting distracted or anything i'm just looking at some of your tweets and Uh, I'll had... be back in a minute Arman while you read my tweets. Okay. So one of the tweets that Harsh has is um this is your general reminder that porn makes your brain size smaller just like how cocaine and heroin do. It's a drug and you are addicted to it. You just don't know it because you haven't tried quitting. I thought that was a, a very uh unique tweet and uh, the reason I think it's unique is because we've we're earlier talking about how you know media consumption has changed from 2005 all the way up until right now and if you're a 90s baby and you're thinking about a uh, 2005 weren't things way different do you recall the era of dial up where you couldn't use your phone if you wanted to access the internet i mean this is a completely different mindset so to access something like porn in 2005 wasn't really a thing but nowadays with the rapid improvement of communications technology it's becoming a thing so when i saw harsh say that it makes your brain size smaller i was like whoa this is pretty real so once harsh gets back i did want to ask him about that and 
I'm back. Yeah, so um, just a quick little refresher. I was explaining how in 2005, like we had dial-up internet. Uh, so to even access something like porn was a uh, mission impossible. Uh, so porn addiction wasn't even a thing to that extent. They probably had Playboy mm. and stuff. But nowadays, it's a thing. And you said that it shrinks your brain size. Did you want to explain that some more? Yes. Yeah, so research shows that porn shrinks your brain size, just like how cocaine does. So do you know how cocaine works, Herman? Or any drug works? Uh, sort of. I mean, you may want to explain it. Okay, so when you take a drug, your brain releases dopamine and serotonin in wherever it's supposed to release it. And when you take something like heroin, it releases so much of it that the area kind of becomes numb or it removes the number of receptors it has. So you need more dopamine to feel the same way. That's called tolerance. So that's why you need more and more of the drug to feel the same high. So for example, let's say that someone's taking heroin. So if they take one heroin, then you know they'll feel really, really good. But after a while, they get used to taking one heroin. The brain in that part of the brain where the dopamine is being released has removed or pruned a lot of receptors. So just, they, just to get the same amount of high, you need way more dopamine so you gotta like take two heroin or three heroin and your dose of heroin keeps going up like say you're taking a pack of heroin i don't know how it works in heroin i've never a pack of heroin <laughs> <laughs> so, like, is it is it is it snorted it's snorted right I, I, cocaine is snorted i think i don't know i'm googling it right now that's one drug that i don't know anything about i, I see a lot of needles damn okay inject it so, I don't know, 200 ml of heroin or whatever ml they're injecting. So you got to keep increasing the dose to feel the same way. And you see this with other things too, like caffeine. You got to keep increasing caffeine intake to feel the same amount of alertness. Otherwise, you will become tolerant to the caffeine. It won't really do as much to you. So that's the same thing that happens to, with porn. When you watch porn, your body releases dopamine. And that makes you feel really good, right? That's why the orgasm, that's why people like orgasms. But mm -hmm. what happens is your brain starts linking porn to pleasure. And then you need more and more porn, like stronger and stronger porn to feel the same pleasure. So that's why when people start watching porn, they're happy with pictures. Then they go to video. Then they kind of like, it becomes more extreme. So they're watching straight porn. Now they're watching anal sex. Now they're watching anal sex where the girl is crying. You know, and then they're like, some people will even watch gay porn just because they're so used to the extremes of it. They'll watch BDSM, etc. So things start going extreme because their brain is adjusting, right? The brain is reducing dopamine receptors and they become so used to watching porn that they need it more and more. And their brain size, like the brain, if it's, it's essentially behaving the same way as it would behave when you were taking heroin. The size of the brain shrinks, your willpower weakens, and things like that. So research shows the exact same stuff starts to happen to you. And people who watch porn regularly, they have much smaller brains, like measurably smaller brains than people who don't watch porn. And it's like a cycle because when you watch porn, your brain shrinks. And when your brain shrinks, your willpower reduces, which makes you want to watch even more porn. Mm. so 
it's like it you it's like it's feeding on itself and it's making you weaker and weaker and weaker over time your brain is you're essentially damaging your brain with so much stimulation man that's a very bleak look into porn that i've actually never heard but i think that hopefully it serves as a revelation for someone who's listening to this which we were talking about earlier like that revelation that leads to an instant change because that's a I very so. i mean it's a very dark look man I'm, and i think things change when it goes from just a mental problem to it actually affecting you physiologically and the way you described it it's a physiological thing i was having a conversation with a group of girls one time and they told me something i never knew about they're like yo arman do you know like we can tell which guys watch porn and which don't and i was like no way and they were just looking around the the group that we were in they're like that guy definitely watches porn that guy definitely doesn't and i wouldn't be shocked if that's the case because women sometimes process information in a different way that guys do and i think they're e- evolved to see like who has that sort of life and who is having that life drained away from them so when i s- saw that i was like wow like i wonder if it it sort of ties with your point that you're making where you're bringing up the physiological effects of porn and this is something that's being noted by the eyes the visual receptors of a lot of women interesting i wasn't aware of this i bet they're like looking at how fresh the guy looks you know like if his eyes are sunken and dark he's not sleeping enough then yeah he's probably watching porn <laughs> you know we're talking about gus earlier they're like oh yeah gus definitely watches porn you could just tell from his he <laughs> tell from his old mannerism i was i was cracking up man um well that's a that's a very dark um look and i think sometimes fear can lead to habit changes what do you think i think in this case people are watching porn because of the same reason that people take heroin it's like they're used to it the body wants it so some people get so used to jacking off and watching porn is that they train themselves that this is the first thing they do when they wake up so they wake up and they jack off so yeah. and i know this for a fact because i have a product right i have a product that's mm-hmm. 90 day self improvement program and people will message me saying that okay so this is what i'm facing and we've made like almost 10000 sales now like 8000 something congratulations so a lot of people have mentioned this to me because most people are like young men who buy it so people get used to watching porn they get used to jacking off it's like how you know people are used to drinking coffee in the morning mm-hmm. same thing like you wake up and now now you have this urge to jack off and it's really bad for the health of course but to top it off it's like hurting their brains <laughs> That's like the worst of all worlds. Have you ever heard of wake and bake before? I have not. Tell me. I mean, this is a pretty common phrase with uh people who smoke weed. Like the first thing they do when they wake up is they uh smoke a bowl. And that's called wake and bake. And I can't even imagine doing something like that uh, mainly because the morning for a lot of people in the self-improvement space, um it's sort of like they have some sort of ritual. Like I don't know what the Yeah, it's a that that's the word I was looking for. It's a it's sacred to a certain extent. And if you already start off your worst habit in the morning, then the whole tone of the day feels off, doesn't it? Agree with you. It's like the momentum of the day is kind of off that they are ruined in a sense. Mhm. And I know I I mean I know there are people that 
you know, like if you're an alcoholic, some of them just wake up and they take a quick shot and then they go about their day and then they need some more shots throughout the day. So I'm not over here judging in that regards because I don't know how much they're so entrenched in this where when they're trying to stop, their nervous system sucks them back in. I've heard a lot of talks regarding addictions in general, and it's a field that in some ways captivates me, Harsh, because, um, I mean, you know, I wrote the book Level of Mentality, which talks about um, how obsession can be a good thing if you're getting obsessed by the right things. And a lot of the times, Harsh, like the mind in some ways is built for obsession. Like the whole concept of uh, just balancing completely it sometimes works, but it depends on the field that you're in. So I just like with addiction, like someone's getting obsessed with something that's harmful to them. There's a very good book um, on the subject. It's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Have you heard of it? The yellow book cover? I don't remember. I think it was white. Okay. Um, you can continue. I don't think I've I've read it, but I've seen it. So the guy talks about habits in the sense that there are three things, okay? There's cue, there's action, and a reward. So the cue is, you know, whatever habit that you're doing. Like, you know, something that encourages you to do something that reminds you of doing that. Mm-hmm. The habit is whatever you're doing, and the reward is what feeling you get after the habit. So some people are used to biting nails, right? So mm-hmm. they like get some weird urge, they'll bite the nails, that's their action. And the reward is whatever they feel from it, like whatever good feeling they get in their fingers or in their head, whatever. And the way to change the habit is to change the action. So whenever, say, the guy's experiment was that, okay, so whenever the guy wants to feel like biting his nails, he takes out a pen and like on a notepad, he makes like a cut. In a sense, he, you know, have you seen the marking system where one, two, three, four, and then you slice it off? Mm-mm. how do you those tally marks oh yeah, yeah yeah the tally marks yeah i've seen that so to make a tally mark every time they have this urge of biting their nails and then like you know that's it like they'll feel good by like not having bitten their nails or do something that kind of makes you feel good and retrain yourself for the same cue so instead of when you feel this thing in your finger to bite your nails instead of biting your nails you will make a tally mark and now you've changed your habits. So that's a pretty cool way of changing small habits like this. Interesting. I, I didn't ever know about that formula you just brought up. Yeah, it's called... Um, the, this, the way a habit looks like is there's a cue, there's an action, and there's a reward, the feeling they get. So the cue could be, okay, the guy wakes up, and then he jacks off. The action is jacking off, and the reward is an orgasm. So... We can change this, right? So when you wake up, instead of jacking off, say, do 10 push-ups and your reward will be, you know, you feel tired and it actually feels good, right? Mm-hmm. Or eat something sweet or whatever. So change the action you do after you get the same cue. And over time, you will reprogram your brain to do something else when presented with the same urge. Mm. I. I knew a guy that was an alcoholic that would take like a lot of shots and he replaced the shots with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Did you ever eat the Reese's before? (laughs) Well, so he worked out a decent amount. It just, 
I mean, overall, every part of his life was okay. Just like he would drink a lot. Um, the Reese's peanut butter cups um, kind of simulated that similar feeling of taking a shot. Because you know how it's like just one cup? So something Let me in him. Do that. What is it called again? Reese's peanut butter cup. R-E-S-E-S-S. Yeah. Or Reese's peanut butter cups. R-E-E-S-E-S. Ah, it looks like a muffin. Was flat, so it's like this size harsh. Yeah, yeah. And he would just eat that anytime he wanted to take a shot. He would just eat uh one of those. And over time, like he didn't need the alcohol. I mean, I wouldn't say he was addicted to Reese's harsh, but it helps him stop being so reliant on alcohol. I think the whole thing with self-improvement and habit building is that, you know, we got to also remember that people are people. And I think trying to eliminate every single bad habit is a noble ideal, but often it leads to implosion uh, where you're trying to eliminate every bad side to you. So I think there's also that fine line we got to toe where you should optimize yourself as a human too. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say it out loud, but there's certain stuff that are probably not good for me. And I do it occasionally. And I'm sure you do too. I'm sure everyone does. It's just when it's getting too much, that becomes the problem. Agreed. Although some things need to be stopped cold turkey. You know, if you are smoking cigarettes, you need to go to zero. You can't stay at one cigarette a day. You got to like take it down to zero. Man, cigarettes disgust me, man. Have you ever tried a cigarette before? No, no, I have not. Dude, I got traumatized with that because there was this kid that I went to college of engineering with. He would always freaking smoke cigarettes and he would sit right next to me. And I'm over here supposed to be tutoring him. And he's talking to me and I could smell his breath. I'm like, Zane, bro, like your breath is so freaking hot right now. Like I can't even <laughs> concentrate. I, it just traumatized me with cigarettes. Like that's something that I don't even know how it's appealing. You know, I recently bumped into an old childhood friend of mine. Okay. Like I'm, I must have seen him after like 10, 15 years. And I was back in the city in the mall and I just bumped into him and I took him and we kind of met, we went to a coffee shop. It was like 10, 30 ish and everything else was closed. And the guy told me that he smokes like four cigarettes a day. And I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe this guy smokes because back as a child, like <laughs> he was such a, like, a normal, what do you call it? Like, very reserved child. You know, you would not expect this guy to smoke. And so the guy smokes, the guy drinks. I'm like, oh my God, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, I mean, any, I mean, four cigarettes, like from people who smoke cigarettes, isn't that bad. But I think. <laughs> since you don't do anything like that it's probably seeming like a lot to you yeah moreover i know the guy's family right so he comes from a very normal family the, the family is vegetarian so they don't even eat meat mm-hmm. they don't drink they don't smoke so it's like a very very normal family versus this guy is like out of control like four cigarettes a day drinks every day and i'm like dude what exactly <laughs> happened to you like what are you up to did you ask and him the that, guy, by the way? Yeah, I did ask him that. And the guy is like, so he works as a video game designer where he designs like the actual stuff in the video game. And apparently it's a very emotionally draining thing to do because it's not as simple as, you know how you think, okay, the guy just made a tree, et cetera, it's there. 
Yeah. You have to actually code the tree and then test everything is working correctly, jump around the tree 300, 400 times. And it's very boring and also very stressful. So a lot of his friends apparently where he was working smoke. So he picked up the habit from there. And then it was a very simple thing. To, I'm smoking already. Might as well also start drinking, right? Man, it's so crazy that you brought that up because um, you heard of Walt Disney, right? Yes. I just got finished reading his biography. And as I was reading it, uh, one of the things they said in the biography was that a lot of animators and cartoonists were emotionally stunted. And to a certain degree, uh, that's why like you know, they love jobs like that where you could just be to yourself and you could create. And a lot of it is just repetitive. You're doing a lot of the same things. So over time, uh, a lot of Walt's animators developed a smoking habit or a drinking habit or a sex habit. Like a lot of the people in his studios were smashing each other, like having sex with each other. And it was an addiction, right? So when you were explaining the whole, um, the, what were you talking about? Uh, video game design? Yeah, video game designer, yeah. It's very similar to how they were describing it uh, in Walt Disney's biography for cartoonists. Interesting. I mean, given the three choices, I think sex addiction is the best one to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't good for Walt because his talent just kept smashing each other. And sometimes they'd get like angry at each other so he'd lose his top animators. Man, I was reading that biography. Dude. It's probably one of the best biographies I've ever read. Like just seeing his come up and like how much of an imaginative mind he was, the flaws in the man, um, the anger issues he had, uh, but his willpower. I mean, very interesting um, biography. And if anyone is curious, let me just uh, let me just get the guys who made it. I um his name. Neil Gabler, I believe, N-E-A-L-G-A-B-L-E-R. It's a long book, Harsh, but it's one of those books that teaches you about entrepreneurship and the gritty sides of uh, capitalism as a whole. Uh, but it's very interesting. Hmm. Interesting. I'll check it out. It ties into your point, though, man. I mean, when you're doing a lot of creative work, there. Because you're thinking a lot, and sometimes you just don't want to think. You just want to sometimes escape. And different people in the creative fields develop something to escape. No, so the guy who, who I was speaking to, my friend, he says that it's like creative work, but the creative work is like 10%, and 90% of it is, you know, repetitive work. For example, like, okay, so, you know, have you played a video game like Prince of Persia, for example? Mm -hmm. or assassin's creed there's a tree suppose okay now the software they use they can put a tree there but you have to make sure everything is coded correctly and the main character has to go around the tree so it, it'll have these weird bugs sometimes where the guy will like fall below this you know what do you call it below the ground level and like there's a bug there or he might go through the tree and get stuck at some place mm -hmm. so he has to test out like for example if there's a jump for the player, he has to jump once and, you know, finish a level. But the guy making the game has to play the level th a thousand times in different ways to spot, like, okay, where a bug might be. Mm. And I'm not sure if I would say that's creative or it's just, like... Repetitive. And yeah, it's boring. like... There's a word in Hindi. It's called Mazuri. 
uh, I don't know what the English word is, but the word basically means where you're doing something like where you're doing hard work, like you know, plowing the field type of stuff. Where okay, mm. <laughs> farming is creative, right? You're creating, but what's your everyday life like? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I, I see what you're saying. You're saying it's you know it's a, a bit of it's creative, but a lot of it's just repetitive. Yes, and when people, for example, you know, like when people judge people for for like you know taking drugs or smoking they're doing it in a vacuum in the sense you have to look at the guy's life first for example in india there are a lot of people who take like who use tobacco like chewing tobacco and everyone like judges them but you got to first look at the guy's life what is he doing for example if there's like a factory worker this guy's like doing something in the factory 8 hours a day or you know 10 hours a day in india for 6 7 days a week every single day for his life he's going to get really bored so he needs something to like keep his mind busy while he's doing this stupid thing so a lot of people that's why they take drugs and or you know something like you know chewing tobacco that kind of like keeps them somewhat okay with whatever life they're leading and you know it's cheap so people judge people who take drugs in a vacuum and i mean some people a lot of people who take drugs are like complete masses and they're like idiots but i can i can see for example if i was working in a factory for 8 hours a day i too would want something to numb that bullshit you know yeah absolutely and some some people who have painful jobs i mean a lot of i heard American football players end up doing some sort of painkiller drugs because after they're done playing they feel these gnawing sensations in their head and they're uh they often become addicted to painkillers Isn't this the one where they keep jumping on each other and probably give each other a lot of damage Yeah I mean they're wearing the helmets Yeah mm-hmm. I can totally see how someone doing that for a long time can develop disorders physically that might actually give them real pain. Mhm. Mhm. Interesting topic. Um did you have anything to, else to add on that or not because I have a tweet of yours pulled up which I think is is very I'm looking at the stuff you sent me, okay, the Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> One of them has like 220 calories. I hope your friend was not drinking that much because <laughs> <laughs> eating that much um no he wasn't eating well i think he actually was man i'm not going to lie <laughs> that's <laughs> he crazy look, you know like, he's one of those guys with a very fast metabolism um i've always been like that too where like it's very difficult for me to gain weight um are you like that or is are you is it very difficult for you to lose weight it's difficult for me to lose weight i have oh, like meticulously okay. track my calories and everything i can gain weight easily mhm I can say one thing though. Looking at all these produced foods like this stuff, it's like so easy to like eat 300 calories, right? Mhm. But when you eat natural stuff, eating 300 calories actually takes effort. Like to eat 400 calories, I need to have like 150 grams of sourdough bread or like a bag of chips. Like mm-hmm. a bag of chips I can eat in like 2 minutes and I won't be filled whatsoever. You know, I can have like 10 bags of chips. Right. Sardo bread 150 grams is like it takes effort to eat that stuff. Man, I've been I've been thinking, I mean, do you eat like does your food taste good like the healthy stuff that you eat? 
Yeah, it does. Okay, okay. No, I, I was just asking because um, I I'm kind of curious, like how long someone could eat like these healthy food, or um, it, you know, because a, a big part of a life is food, and if the food is not enjoyable, but I mean, it's technically good for you. I mean, how long can someone last with that? All I will say is that Indian food has spices and taste. But think about it's American not mashed food, potatoes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, now that's a that's a good point. I was gonna ask you something in regards to that. I forgot. So let me just bring up this tweet of yours real quick. You no, know, I will say that you know now that you mention it, mm-hmm. a lot of it is your taste buds. For example. When you're eating a lot of um, nonsense foods, okay, you're eating a lot of hot sauce, extra strong spices, etc., tortilla chips, you're putting so much flavor on your tongue that your tongue becomes a bit numb. And then regular food like carrots will be tasteless. I hate carrots, bro. You like carrots? <laughs> I oh. love carrots. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> I, was watching the, I was watching the basketball game with a, a bunch of people at um, a restaurant yesterday. And the guy just kept, he got wings, right? And he's like, can I get some more carrots, please? More carrots. I'm like, ew, bro. Carrots and celery, dude. Or cucumbers. I like both of those stuff. I love cucumbers. Oh, my goodness. Are those your favorite vegetables? I don't know, favorite. Favorite one, I would say, is like ladyfinger. I think you called it okra last time. Oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Me and you, when we meet, we definitely can't go to a restaurant together. I mean, I also like Western stuff like pizza. Yeah, I like it. It's just too pizza. many calories. You're Subway guy too. I think I like Subway. Subway. I like Subway. But you know, I ever since I read the ingredients list, mm. what I eat at Subway has changed significantly. So earlier, I used to think Subway is healthy, right? Because it's just bread and vegetables and sauces. Mm-hmm. But then I found out sauces. Almost all of the sauces in Subway are like vegetable oil. Mayo has mostly vegetable oil. Etc. Etc. Like all the stuff, like all the you know whatever they have at Subway. I forget the names. Like chipotle sauce, etc. Etc. They have like tons of vegetable oil, and that's bullshit. So yeah. whenever I do go to Subway lately, it's just multigrain or flatbread, vegetables, no cheese, and only red chili sauce. Okay. So oh, you guys get red chili. Okay. See, I, th- that's how I know you're in the Indian Subway. <laughs> you don't have red chili no man i mean that would be awesome see you know how in this era a lot of people are uh you know compelled by technology companies like technology startups most business in the tech sphere mm-hmm. i'm like dude don't judge me but i've been very curious about like the fast food business model like i've read ray Kroc's biography uh, the founder of papa john's um the subway guy and i really enjoy like the like the whole business model of how it goes like how there's a corporate layer how there's a franchising layer and i like that stuff man so the thing is um their goal in terms of let's say you're uh, building a franchise uh, they want every store to feel the same uh, and before i didn't like that i was like man why would they want a mcdonald's in china to s- taste the same as the one in india and in terms of us i mean they all have their own unique cultures and um nowadays i get it from the business side of it uh, but the franchisees they want more creative control so i find it unique that you guys have uh chili in the india one where 
in U.S. subway, they don't. So I guess the, it's not as standardized. So India is a very different market, and I can tell you why. Like for multiple reasons, what works in the U.S. doesn't work in India because one, we don't eat beef. Two, India has a lot of Muslims, and Muslims don't eat pork. So, like, what do people in the West like eating? They like eating beef, and they like eating bacon, or you know, pork. You know, so. They have to reinvent a lot of dishes for India, and there are a lot of Indians who don't eat non-veg food. Like they only eat vegetables, like you know, vegetarians, mm-hmm. so milk and vegetables. Mm-hmm. So if you go to McDonald's, you'll have like an entire menu that's veg, and an entire menu that's non-veg. And interestingly, the lines for veg are longer. So there's so many vegetarians in India. So the entire menu for every single chain store, every restaurant, everything is completely different for India. Because the food choices are so different, and Western food just don't work in India because Western food is kind of tasteless, in the mm. sense they don't really use spices as much, and Indian tongues are very used to spice, like they're very very used to spice. Like I remember my Western friend making like, you know, he made omelette, and he didn't put anything on the omelette, and I was like, my omelette is like, fifty percent chili, fifty percent omelette, cumin and all that. <laughs> so. Unless it's spicy, for me, it just doesn't go. Like, it doesn't make this as good. It has to be <laughs> spicy. Okay, never yeah, mind. We, we could go to restaurants together then. Versus, I think in the West, they can't handle spice as much. And the foods are very different. So Indian food is... All these restaurants have different menus for India. Mm-hmm. And they don't have beef or pork. No, it's only pork. chicken. Okay, so there's definitely been an evolution. Uh, because when you read a lot of these founders' biographies, uh, a lot of their dream is like everything is the same. Uh, but nowadays, it, from what we're discussing, it seems like each market in itself is capable of having some freedom to experiment on their own. Yeah, otherwise it would fail. I mean, like if there was if McDonald's was selling beef in India, people wouldn't go there. And, isn't that change. what they initially did, and then they had to the- adjust? Yeah, they had to change because when they initially came out, people didn't really know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And people had no idea. People were just eating it. And then when people find out, they were livid. Yeah. So it's different. It's different across the world. I mean, like if you're opening a restaurant in China, then you know you want to appeal to Chinese customers. You don't want to appeal to Western customers. I mean, it's like, let's say there's an Indian fast food company and... And then they open a chain in the U.S. and they don't sell beef or pork. Are people going to go there? Not as likely, right? Right. No, you're 100% right. And the reason, Harsh, I was reading a, a lot of these um, fast food um, owners' biographies was because, you know, when you're running an internet-based business, it, a lot of it is intangible. And sometimes you want to visualize things. Like us as a human beings, we want to see it. We want to touch it. We want to occasionally smell it. And I was on this uh, podcast with, uh, it's a pretty big podcast uh, host who um, serves uh, craftsmen, like people who get their hands dirty, they build stuff, carpentry, etc. And the host was asking me, he's like, can you help me perceive a website uh, or just an internet business as a whole? Because our people normally are working in the real world stuff so much that they want to enter an internet-based business. They just can't perceive it. So I was like, well, picture this mega mansion that you can build at any point. And there's t- tons of different analogies. 
but I'm using the mansion analogy. And every time you create a YouTube video, you're adding in, let's say, multiple living rooms in this giant, giant mansion. Anytime you add in podcast episodes, you add in a whole bunch of rooms. Uh, physical real estate is made from cement, glass, and wood. Digital real estate is made from stories, concepts, and ideas. And slowly, he was starting to perceive it. He's like, oh, my goodness. So I could build this huge mansion uh, as my brand, and I could keep adding on to stuff. I'll say, exactly. So I was like, what other analogies can I use in order to perceive internet-based businesses more? And that's when I started to see like a stunning similarity uh, between uh, like the franchise model and the internet business-based model, where Ray Kroc, uh, John Schnatter, um, the different, like the Wendy's guy, their philosophy is, let me get one thing working, and then let me add multiple stores. Uh, my philosophy is like, let's get one story and add multiple stories all around the internet and just keep growing your empire. And it's, ba it's basically back to what we were talking about, where like, anytime you're ranking for a keyword, you don't necessarily, it, it's sort of like you're entering a new country in some ways. Because um, I found out a lot of people that listen to the Armani Talks videos, they're singers. I would have never guessed that. And it's like some people were messaging me like, oh my God, like your speaking tips help me with singing. I was like, why did you initially come to my video? He's like, to learn singing. I was like, huh? Like that wasn't what I was initially expecting. It's like I'm entering this brand new land, sort of like McDonald's is entering this brand new land and you got to understand the new language as well. I see. Interesting. So what do singers take from Armani Talks? I would be interested to learn. So one of the, like, mind you, nothing that I created was ever meant to appeal to singers. It was meant to appeal to speakers. And one of them was, um, what about, uh, how do you deal with, like, you know, having a nice posture? And um, I have this video called Fix Weak Voice. And, you know, I give a, a variety of different tips on how to strengthen your voice. And I said one of them is a posture issue. So I said uh, a creative way that you can, uh, fix your posture is get a book, uh, put it on your head and walk with it. Uh, it's going to initially fall off uh, the first few times, uh, but later on, it's going to uh, balance. In that process of balancing, you're working out a lot of these uh, micro muscles that help you improve your posture. And there was this girl who's a singer. I think she was an opera singer too, Harsh. Mm -hmm. uh, she was just like, I tried that. I, I got this big book. For the first two weeks, I couldn't balance it. I slowly my body started to adjust and nowadays my body is just fixed in this position and it makes it so much easier to sing i was like wow look, look at that like a public speaking advice spilling over to the land of singing that's very interesting you may appreciate it because you're a up-and-coming <laughs> singer now i would not say i'm a singer now i'm like a student <laughs> So can, how many books can you balance in your head, on your head? Me? Well, I mean, I just do one book at a time, but now you just gave me an idea. I mean, being able to do two or three, I mean, that's pretty good. Because the thing with the voice, Harsh, is that it's not just here, right? And I'm sure you're starting to see this as you're singing. It, you, Your whole body needs to be engaged. Um, there was this singer named Jay Sean a couple of years ago. Have you heard of Jay Sean? I have not. Well, he was like 
on top of the world in 2007. And I see him like lifting these weights, like flipping these tires, like moving these different chains. And the video ends with what it takes to be a singing superstar. I'm like, man, it looks like he's getting ready for a boxing match. I mean, bro, you sing. Like, why are you getting so physically active for? (laughs) And then he was breaking down like how the better in shape that you are, the easier it is for the worst to just flow out because you're working a lot of the other variables. Like your posture is good. You feel good. You're not running out of breath. The preserved breath makes for a stronger voice. So it's all connected. Interesting. I would love to see how swimmers sing because swimmers are used to holding their breath for long periods of time, right? Mm-hmm. I bet yeah. they would have an easier time having like a long syllables being sung. For sure. I have a book out called, uh, I'm trying to get the light. It's shining. Yeah. Showtime. Showtime, a story on public speaking, uh, presentation skills, inspiration, and mastery. And this is a novel, actually. Um, so the main character, Malachi, he's learning the art of impromptu speaking. And as he's doing it, he's he's um, running into an issue, Harsh. The issue mm-hmm. is that uh, he keeps running out of breath. Because when you're impromptu speaking, you're thinking on the fly, uh, exhausting a lot of uh, thinking faculties, and it's making you uh, harder to breathe. And Malachi's mom, Harsh, is a very a renowned swimmer. So she's explaining to him how to um, preserve your breath with each stroke. And this is helping Malachi, but it's still not helping him enough. So eventually, he meets a public speaking mentor. And the mentor is a very kooky guy. He's one of these mad scientist guys, Harsh. And he sits with Malachi in uh, the uh, IHOP together in their first meeting. And he's not saying anything to Malachi. And Malachi is getting agitated because he's trying to create conversation with his mentor. But he's just getting ignored. And the more he's in the silence, the more that he's getting uncomfortable. He's like his body language is shifting. He's feeling... uh, sort of angry and his mentor looks at him and is like you're not comfortable with the silence are you and malachi's like no i'm not that his mentor is like that's your problem communication skills is just as much silence as it is words and that was helping um, malachi in order to preserve his breath because before when he was doing impromptu speaking he was just using a lot of words he thought being silent meant something bad but with the mentor's insight he learns that no you could use silence in order to benefit yourself so the main moral harsh was that sometimes people run out of breath when they're speaking due to physical issues they don't know how to breathe but other times they have a very negative perception towards silence and that causes them to factor in words a lot more and exhaust their breath. So it's a physical and a mental issue. I see. Do you you ever have that problem where um, like you're silent around someone and you feel uncomfortable? I don't know. Probably at some level, in a sense, it depends on the duration of the silence. And it depends kind of on like, like if you're on a date and you're being silent for too long and it's like an awkward silence and yeah, you know, that's, I would like to break that silence. But if I'm like hanging out with my family, I know them really well, it's a silent, it's silent, you know, no one cares. So 
I would say it depends mm. on the situation. Yeah, where there's a phenomena called nervous laughter, where someone just laughs just to fill up the silence. And I would say that's one of my most popular YouTube videos. And remember earlier how we were saying like we could like accidentally reach different markets. Mm -hmm. The market that I was reaching was um, like the sales market, where a lot of salesmen, when they're in a call, like whenever there's a silence, automatically they're like, "Okay, let me fill it up," and they start nervous laughing, and it's um, something that they can't even control at times. So. I wasn't expecting that, but it is a common issue for salespeople, for public speakers, and for some content creators in general. Like where, if they're even silent for a little bit, they are like, "Let me fill it up," and this causes them to speak too fast, and their timing goes off. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't it cool, Harsh? Like we've been、um, streaming this for a while without any edits. Doesn't this sometimes feel like a meditation to you? Where you're just focused for an extended period of time, like present. Not meditation exactly, but it's a very good way to learn from someone who has such weird experiences like you. <laughs> yeah, you I, know, I think, it's so、yeah. interesting. Like, before I used to listen to podcasts, I used to think podcasts are like bullshit. And the first podcast I used I used to listen to was this guy called. Cernovich, do you know him, Mike Cernovich? Ah,、uh, I've heard of him before. So I used to listen to his podcasts, and I was like, "Ah,、huh, this is pretty cool." But I would still prefer articles, because you know, articles are faster. You can read an article in five minutes. A podcast will give you the same info in like thirty-five minutes. But then I realized that okay, I'm, I'm in the gym, or I'm doing some cardio, or I'm doing some you know menial work. Might as well do something useful with our time, and podcasts are perfect for that. In the sense that a conversation like this, it's not super hard to follow. It's it's super easy to follow. You don't need to focus hundred percent on this for the listener,、mm -hmm. and they can get so much from this. So I think podcasts are amazing as a tool for getting information while being distracted at the same time. Yeah. So that is my take on podcasts. So crazy, man! I don't really listen to podcasts like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably in that stage you were in a while back. What? How do you listen to podcasts? Rarely, man. I mean,、um, I'll listen if I'm in a car ride with someone and they're playing a podcast. But I don't like if I'm going to the gym. I'm listening to music. If I'm going for a walk, I'm listening to music. So I haven't had that moment where I'm just listening to a podcast. While going about my life, I'm a big reader. I'm a big reader. I read a lot of books. I end up listening to like one hour of podcasts a day, easily. Really?、Uh, yeah. Double speed or normal speed? Normal speed. Normal speed. You know, most people listen on double speed nowadays. Yeah. For some reason, my brain can't save information that fast. It needs like normal speed,、mm -hmm. or like one point two, one point three. At ma at max, like not double speed at all, but and even with normal speed, sometimes I have to like rewind a bit when I get distracted. Man, or、I、like mean... pause for like three minutes just to absorb and process everything I just heard. Okay, assimilate the information in my brain and save it forever. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So would you say podcast right now is your second preferred choice for information retention? Because I know you're a reader too. My most preferred way is articles and actually video. And I was very surprised by that because when I was doing the crypto course, when I was making it, I found that videos were so much better than articles, especially for complex topics because videos, it has more visual elements, right? It helps you visualize things versus with an article. It's hard to like, I mean, you can do it, but you have to sit and really focus and draw the diagrams, etc. With videos, it's just right there. You can like watch it while eating. With an article, you need like, you can't be eating at the same time. You got to like read the article. So I find that videos are like one of the best forms of, you know, to learn fast. Mm-hmm. Second, text. And third, I would say is podcasts. So video, text, podcast. Yes. Okay. And this is something that was very surprising to me because I only discovered this as I was making the TYC course. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I had to like watch eight hours of video a day. And if you have ever made a course around something technical, you know that if you are going to do it for eight hours, you can't read articles for eight hours. You just can't. Like your brain doesn't like it stops functioning after a while and you you'll have to read the same line five times to get what they're saying. Versus a video, like you can watch as many videos as you like and your brain mm. will still capture the information. So in my opinion, videos are a superior mode of learning, but text is better for a reference. Do you watch videos on regular speed? Yes. Okay. We're, we're different than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a 10x speed. <laughs> I, I sometimes go up to three, man. Ultra high IQ. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I sometimes go up to three. And what I found with that is the it's a muscle. Like if I were to do three when I started like seriously learning like two to three years ago, where, you know, that whole journey of self-education, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But I just gradually went from like 1.25 to like 1.75. And then I had to download one of those plugins on YouTube where you could go beyond two times the speed. And it works for me, man. And I like books a lot. Like I, um, for a while, like I didn't like books, but nowadays, I mean, it's, it's different. And I I think it makes you a better speaker too, where it allows you to get to the point faster. Uh, It allows you to think clearer. Uh, I I say like blogs give you information, but books give you information and transformation and boost your concentration skills too, man. I mean, some people can't concentrate for more than, like 10 seconds, they're just hopping around while someone who reads, like I could sometimes tell, like I'm like, this guy reads a book, which is <laughs> very rare nowadays. I agree with you there. You got to like, it definitely builds your concentration. And if you stop reading for a while, like I was very busy with DYC, so I wasn't reading anything else. And then getting into reading again was a bit hard. Like sitting with the paper when you're used to watching videos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I actually found out, Harsh, I'm not going to lie. Like there was a while where I wasn't reading, but I was watching these YouTube videos on two times the speed for research purposes. And it would sometimes make me angry, man. Like sometimes I'm talking to someone. I'm like, all right, man, get to the point, get to the point. I'm basically trying to put them on 2x, 3x the speed. That's when I was like, man, this needs to be balanced out. Like there needs to be that analog experience too. And that's when I went into books like full force. 
So I think YouTube is. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I was done with the point. Go ahead. YouTube is terrible at that, where people on YouTube are incentivized to waste their time. Where like, yo, bros, I'm X Y Z person, and in this video, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about this. Keep yeah. watching and don't like, like, just get to the point. So, <laughs> get like, to the do, point, bro. Like something that should have been conveyed in thirty seconds is conveyed in three and a half minutes because the first three minutes are spent hyping up the thirty seconds. Hmm. Yeah. So I think YouTube is terrible at that. Like it's terrible. It's really terrible at that. Where the guy, the first three minutes of the video can usually be just skipped because it's just like the guy building you up. Like you should watch this video incomplete. Blue then, bomb you. Yeah. Then like <laughs> there'll be minutes in the video where he's not giving out any information. He's just bullshitting. Like blah 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 blah. I don't know why they do that, but so but yeah. What's webinars? Is... I don't know. I don't know why they do it. I think it's just that people are so used to switching videos on YouTube that they have to constantly be reminded. Okay, there's more coming. Please don't go away. No, please don't please go watch away. my full video. <laughs> do you ever watch webinars? I do not. Sometimes they'll weasel me in, man. Like I keep seeing the ad nonstop, and I'm like, all right, fine, you win. And some webinars are so freaking good where you learn so much. Other ones, it's like this long sob story in the first 25, 30 minutes. Then the next 30 minutes is about how you will not live a sob story if you listen to the person. And they keep promising you. It's like, oh, I'm going to reveal the system to you any moment now. Then you get to the end and they're like, okay, I'll give you the system, but you got to buy this, this, and this. I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, you just wasted an hour of my time. <laughs> and most webinars, you can't even fast forward. It's just still and it's so annoying man <laughs> i i love the word system like it's in so many products you know like xyz system 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 <laughs> yeah. you, you just got to replicate the system and you'll be all good yeah, at this point it kind of registers a scam to me like you know like yeah. someone makes a product like system i'm like oh my god system <laughs> oh here we go again process too i'll give you my process but I can see that it works. I mean, like, you know, hear it as much as you like, it works. Like when I, you know, when I made the self-discipline program, I was a bit hesitant to call it like a program. We have like, oh, that must be so scammy, you know, a program really. So I called it project. And then people would email me asking me like, what do you mean? What is a self project? Hmm. So then I had to change the name to like self-improvement program. <laughs> and then I see why people call them systems and things like that. You know, it's like self-explanatory. I guess they did a lot of split testing sorry. in the back end. Sorry? I guess they did a lot of split testing in the back end. Yeah, I think people also just copy other people where like, do you see people pricing their stuff with a seven at the end? Mm, like instead like... of $19.99, it'll be $17. Or a hundred or like ninety nine point nine nine for ebooks. It's usually ninety seven dollars or thirty seven dollars, like with a seven at the end. No, I, I mean now that you brought it up, I'm probably gonna see it everywhere. Yeah, I, I wasn't so aware like, of that before. People are copy pasting the stuff. Like maybe someone had a popular product that ends with seven. Right. So now anyone makes a new product, they end it with a seven. Or like the laser eye thing. I mean. That's the thing with these businesses sometimes where like you never know who's who's going to copy. And sometimes the copying makes sense because I guess 
see that i don't have a problem with what i have a problem with is like the webinar thing for example where i have such a distaste towards webinar where you could have quality information but some of the times i'm just going in with a bias because so many people like follow the same formula without any form of innovation and it's just like oh, oh great you're starting off with a sob story too um so <laughs> where, where does it end it's like an algorithm like okay first make them feel emotional then make your pitch then do this then do this not gonna lie man I, have you ever heard of the youtube account like coach cory wayne i have not let me have a look okay just look at his video real quick it was very refreshing me seeing his channel i, I would say a couple of years back where youtube had like non-stop like cut scenes and you're going from one scene to the next it, it looks like you're about to have a seizure any moment and this guy is just talking to the camera uh, 18 minutes straight uh, one take and some people may say oh well, that's boring i mean they were, were like spice it up but i appreciate that because it's it's more human to me now i don't like too much cut scenes and special effects with the content creators that i typically consume and i don't yeah, even consume him i don't even consume him that much it's just like i saw some of his videos popping up everything's simple um i think uh like i, I read an article that said he makes like a quarter million dollars from uh, just ad revenue uh, from his youtube channel so it's a very simple business model just sit on your butt give some knowledge to people who need it and then dip i mean to the point how much can you make from youtube ad rev how much is your what is it called cpm video mind sharing i don't think i'm allowed to share dude I, i heard you're not supposed to say it uh, in public why is it like a secret like i well, doubt what, it well when i was looking at a bunch of um youtube content creators they're like oh well, i'm technically not supposed to disclose this so i'm like well, why are you disclosing it so I, i'll tell you off the air um if that's cool cool mine is like 3 bucks like close to that oh okay well, mine's more than that I, well it's because i think you have a international based audience yeah a where... lot of them are indian a lot of them are from the us it's like a mix bag yeah but i disable monetization for a lot of my videos like at least the in video monetization you know where the ad shows up in the middle of the video mm i disable that i don't want to annoy people i want them to watch my video do you have the super chat feature or the super thanks feature now i don't know i don't know how do i check that um like just click one of your videos and see if there's like one of those like hearts on it where there's um uh like right next to the like button there's like a little heart okay on my it's own video one sec yeah it's called super thanks or you may have to enable it uh i haven't enabled it if i have to enable it Okay. Um it, it's basically just a way for like people who vibe with your videos to give you a donation. So um I mean if you want to make a career out of YouTube, uh you definitely can, I guess, but you got to play a different game where I like to view YouTube as like something that complements my other products rather than me calling myself a YouTuber. That makes sense. I don't like the term YouTuber, blogger, all this like, all these terms they, they have this cheap feeling to them. Mhm. You know, I like the term like, you know, creator or writer is so much better than blogger. Do I don't you, see myself as a blogger. I see myself what, as a writer. What do you say like when your uncles, aunties are like, "What do you do, Harsh?" Internet marketing. 
internet market okay um because sometimes it gets difficult or you'll say something and they'll be like wait what, what is that <laughs> are you a doctor or an engineer which one <laughs> <laughs> so out of curiosity harsh has any of your friends like like ever told you like oh man i love this accounting life math money harsh you should check it out it hasn't happened so far although interestingly i do sometimes see you know my tweets be on someone's whatsapp status i'm like oh my god <laughs> uh, i was on facebook recently and i saw like one of my facebook fault or friends um like sharing one of your tweets but it was like it's like another account posted it and it was getting shared on the facebook space ah i see i see are you blowing up man you're a celebrity interestingly my facebook account doesn't grow at all oh really yeah it doesn't just for some reason facebook doesn't work for me and to top it off i can't log into my own facebook account for life math money what why not because whenever i try to log whenever i try to log in it says that um facebook is down for maintenance please try again in like a minute and this has been going on for like 6 months now they're trying to uh shadow ban you man i don't know i can't log in <laughs> and the crazy thing is that i just there's no one you can reach out to facebook they have no customer support or anything So there's no way to contact Facebook and I can't log into my account and it's just stuck. Dude, that's the worst feeling. Even with YouTube, unless you like monetize your at uh, YouTube, like you don't get access to the chat support. So let's say you you're just that up and coming YouTuber and something bad happens to you, you don't even know who to hit up. It's so difficult to find the support team. Yeah, but at least YouTube does have some option of like contacting someone you know with facebook it's like you have zero way to contact anyone mm-hmm. and i'm just so happy that i set up facebook with zapier so i can still post on the page automatically but for now i i removed my facebook page from my website and everything so on lmm products or anywhere not lmm you will be hard pressed to find a link to facebook because i'm just not sure what to do with this now like i can't use the facebook account because i can't log in and there's no way for me to fix the login because i can't contact anyone on facebook ah that's like a worst of all worlds do you uh, ever use facebook ads for anything in your business i used to use facebook ads but they kind of like stole money from me then i was like stop it i stopped using them dude Where... i had this one guy who started like his uh, shopify store it was blowing up i i think he was selling some products for nurses or something like that mm-hmm. and you know he was feeling high and mighty he was like giving everyone like business advice like starting this consultation practice and i was like so where do you like get most of your traffic from everything's on facebook and he hired a virtual assistant who was very good with facebook ads uh, like the whole campaign setup so mm-hmm. he was making a lot of money for a while i, I think over like 30 40000 a month in profit and he was feeling even better and i'm like man something about that seems risky and i don't know where one day Facebook just banned his um his what do you call it account and he just lost all traffic and he didn't do any form of like email captures or anything like that and his business was just demolished overnight damn he should have done email captures for sure mhm like that's his lesson there and but that just, sucks doesn't it it's like you got to have your own brand you can't just rely on social media I agree with you 100%, man. Or when someone says like I get only ad traffic and I'm not doing any email capture and stuff, 
I'm like, bro, you're not really building a business. You're like literally just creating this little funnel. It's not a complex system at all. You're building a light switch rather than a computer. Like, I, I think your business should be evolving and like you should be owning a lot of your traffic over time. Otherwise, you're not really a boss by any means. You're always relying on something else. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you found something that works, but you might only be in this place until this platform shuts you out. So you might as well, like, you got to try and make your place here so that when the platform or if the platform shuts you out, people can still find you. You still have your, you still have something left to grow. Mm -hmm. Like even if LMM gets taken down on say Twitter, Facebook, Facebook is already down, but <laughs> uh, YouTube, everywhere else, there's still the blog. There's still the email list. There's still the Telegram channel. So we're still like there. We don't disappear. Versus when someone just has a Twitter account and their Twitter account is banned, they just go on like poof. Mm -hmm. This guy's existence is wiped out. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch the No Jumper podcast? No, but that's an interesting name for a podcast. Yeah, it's a guy uh, named Adam22, and he breaks a lot of like upcoming talent that's been building some buzz underground. And if they come to No Jumper, they build some mainstream success as well. And every now and then he has OnlyFans girls uh, coming on and they're explaining their business model where I'm not joking. It, it's um, they have an Instagram page. It's popping. And then they just post a link uh, for their OnlyFans on their Instagram page. So this was working for a while. I mean, like I would say a year or two ago, like they were making 10, 15 K a month. And then suddenly, like, uh, let's say they're creating enemies or something it's very easy to set up a bot that mass reports them and takes their Instagram page down. And just like that, they lost their main income stream or um, follower stream that is building their OnlyFans and their business is just destroyed. So I, I think you got to think big picture. Like you just having a lot of Instagram followers, that's not necessarily a business. And this is where numbers can give the wrong context if you're putting faith in the wrong numbers. It is a business for sure, but I will say that it's like, you know, you you have a house, okay, but your house is like on an active volcano. <laughs> like, I mean, you have a house, but let's say. It's the same thing with uh, people who live in Florida. They, they live in the beach houses. I'm like, you got one, but you know, you know, Florida's known for their hurricanes. Watch <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that. I'm very, it's so surprising that OnlyFans has like, people make money on OnlyFans in the sense that like, firstly, people pay for this stuff. Secondly, there are so many individual creators who are like getting paid for this. It's like the market for this porn thing is unlimited in a way. And it it's like customized in the sense that it's not, I think from the perspective of a simp who's paying for it, it's not it's not something that you can like it's not fungible. What does fungible mean for our it's not replaceable? It's not replaceable. For, but for example, if he's paying for like say girl A, for him, girl B is something different. Yeah. So that's very weird to me, but yeah, I get it. I think it's for intimacy though. I mean that's what I'm thinking. Like I can't imagine why someone would use OnlyFans if there's free resources out there 
other than it being for that connection. Yeah, I- it could be, it could be like, you know, like they like the creative, they feel like a personal cr- connection. All I say is that this is a good thing in the sense that like these dorks, they don't really deserve to have any money if they're going to do this, who it on women like this. Right. Women they're not even like seeing in person. So it's probably for the best. It's like taking money away from the less productive and giving it to the more productive. <laughs> it's like the Robin Hood inverse. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. We we could talk about that for some time. Like, what caused the rise of OnlyFans? Like, how long will OnlyFans last? Is it here to stay? I mean, we could talk about that for some time. Probably here to stay. Probably. Think so. I can say for sure that a lot of these people will build like some kind of personal connection with the creator. There will be like a chat feature where you can talk to her for a while. If you're like a paid member, you're paying more than X dollars a month. And there will be people who will pay like $10,000 to like go out on a date with some chick. And then that chick will like use it on her boyfriend or something. It's <laughs> <Yeah. That's> so <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's like a pure it's cuck. Like, it's like pure cuck. <laughs> Man, the, the mind, they, they should make a documentary one day called like the mindset of a cuck. <laughs> like what what makes you behave like this i have no idea what these people are doing like it's crazy uh like we we're talking about floyd mayweather earlier like one thing that he owns a lot of are strip clubs and he says that um you know something that will never go out of style is women and booze so his or booze or food he said something like that so he owns like a whole bunch of strip clubs around the uh, the u.s and I think these are high-end strip clubs, not like super like like hood or anything. Like it's like high-end. And um, I was like, that, that's a very interesting insight. Like there's always going to be simps. There's always going to be people that are like looking to spend money on women. And that seems like a smart business move. What do you think? Agreed. Although I will say that the pandemic kind of changed some of my opinions on things like that. Oh, interesting. It's called Girl Collection, by the way. Let's Google. What exactly does a girl in a strip club do? Do they like have sex? Is it like a brothel or is it like just dancing? No. So a strip club, what they do is, um, so there's like this one area where they have like live dances and you throw dollar bills at them. And then a lot of the times the strippers will come to you and they'll ask, would you like a dance? And those individual dances cost twenty dollars for a song so you could uh uh you could get a couple of songs and you could just keep giving 20s and sometimes the strippers will be like well, would you like to get a room and i don't really know what goes on in the room um I, I think it varies for strip clubs i mean it could be a longer dance i mean they may let you kiss them or something um but there is a room feature as well i mean if you're not getting if you're not having sex with the stripper What's the point? Like, I just there to like get sexually frustrated. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, imagine that just hypothetically harsh. Put your perspective uh, in the eyes of a simp. I walk in a simp's shoes real quick. Uh, they haven't, uh, like, say, ever touched a girl. Like, there's a lot of guys that's never touched a girl. Um, like, even like grab their shoulder or anything. So he's having uh, like three minutes to like grab her boobs or her butt or something. So the marketing or like the business side of it makes sense. Like if there's going to be simps, like 
there's going to be a market for that. Like you're Agreed. not having sex. You're not having sex, but you're doing some sort of like touching with what? Why not didn't just hire a hooker? Is that legal though in most places? I think that's illegal. Ah, I see. I see. Oh, it's illegal in the U.S. Okay, interesting. From what I've heard. From what I've heard. Interesting. I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't really see the point of having, you know, sex work illegal. Like it's gonna happen anyway. And if it's legal, then you can at least regulate it. Like, okay, get these girls tested for STDs every three months or whatever. I mean, if you're if you have a legal porn industry, then why don't you have a legal brothel industry? Like, doesn't make sense to me. I can definitely see it beneficial to society to have like legal brothels because people are going to pay for sex anyway, mm-hmm. and this reduces rape because you know a guy who wants to have sex and they just pay and have sex, he doesn't have to rape. Um, so yeah, definitely see advantages of having brothels. Moreover, like. These women who are like working there, they can be tested regularly. It's better for their health because a woman who like say gets HIV and she doesn't like doesn't know she has it or her health is going to keep deteriorating. Like she will have no. I mean, let, let I don't I don't I don't know much about this industry. Like I've never had a hooker, but I'm willing to bet that a lot of them are infected with some or the other disease that they might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. And if they were in a more organized system, they would be aware of these things. And it's better for them. It's better for the client. And I think everyone wins. The government gets some taxes because now it's organized. It's not illegal. Like it's not off the books. So I see several advantages of having brothels and not a lot of disadvantages. Interesting. I actually never put much thought into that. I, I see where you're coming from, though. Do you think that would uh, reduce porn consumption too? Or do you think they're completely unrelated? I don't know if it would reduce porn consumption or not. But I definitely think it would reduce sexual sex-related crimes on women. And I think that it's probably for the best for the type of guy that you're talking about who has never touched a woman. Mm-hmm. It's better than watching some girl dance that you're not even gonna fuck like what's the point right 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 plus it's probably cheaper too i don't know also harsh like uh another thing for strip clubs is like sometimes it's just a place for celebration where like some guys will like right before they're about to like get married they'll have like a bachelor party have you heard of a bachelor party like does that concept i have heard of it i don't understand the concept in the sense that i don't get why they do it but i've heard of it it, it, like I've the, heard of a lot of women cheating like on the bachelorette party. Yeah, man. There's some viral clips of both parties. Like they're getting <laughs> caught up in st- some stuff they shouldn't be caught up in. But the the concept of it, Harsh, is that you know, you're going to spend your, the rest of your life with this particular person. So have this one night uh with your best man. Uh like so for most weddings in America, like they have the best man or groomsman, right? Uh, mm-hmm. go out with your groomsman, have a fun time and do what you got to do no questions asked and a lot of like bachelor parties it's pretty chill like they'll like it's just guys like going on an island that they're like speed boating uh hiking and all that other times it gets pretty wild um i think that's what the movie um hangover, was hangover. Based on. yeah i love yeah. that movie you saw, I used to you watch saw that movie yeah. 
I saw all three of them. Actually, I remember going to a friend's house and we were watching these movies together. It was fun. Okay, so you you understand the concept of bachelor parties then? I mean, I understand it. I don't I don't get the logic behind it. For example, if you're gonna get married, why would you do this? Where you might actually risk your marriage forever. Secondly, what's the point? But I suppose it's like you know, it's like a custom in the West. Like you know, you you have a birthday, you cut cake, you get married, mm-hmm. you do this. But I don't see, I don't understand the point of it, or I don't, I don't see the value of it as a tradition. It's hilarious because anytime we like we talk about this stuff, like we're like diving into a lot of these traditions that like always exist. Well existed and it's accepted and then when we break it down it's like well why is it even here like do you have halloween like do you ever do halloween we do not but i'm aware of what it is like where the kids dress up and like want chocolate right you never gone trick-or-treating man we don't have it in india except like <laughs> once yeah. i remember my brother my mother was telling me like she didn't have any chocolate at home and she had these Christian kids came come dress up. She's like giving them money. Okay, like I'm gonna give you money. Mm-hmm. You buy whatever you like. Yeah. And uh, the kids are like, no, no, no. We want chocolate. So you buy chocolate and then give us chocolate. So my mom bought chocolate mm-hmm. and then told the kids to come back like in an hour. And then she, she was giving money initially. She was giving money. She's like, okay, <laughs> I don't have any money. <laughs> he has like a hundred bucks. Go buy something. <laughs> what? Yeah, man. I mean, like if you lost hundred rupees to... in India. Yeah, if you logically try to explain Halloween to someone, they're going to look at you like you have three heads. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You dress up as a Power Ranger. You go up to strangers' houses. You say trick-or-treat and they give you candy. That's not weird to you. Uh, and in some ways, yeah, it is. But some traditions are so like baked in where it's like, you know, there's no um, cognitive effort required to accept it. We just do it. Uh, and that was a big part of my childhood, Harsh, like trick-or-treating. It was one of the like, the favorite times for me in the year. Interesting. So what type of chocolate did you like the most as a kid? I liked a lot of the like the fruity candy, like Skittles, um, uh, Airheads, uh, Sour Patch Kids. Like, and, and my brother would uh, like the chocolate, like Hershey's, Reese's, and that stuff. So we'd go trick-or-treating, and then we'd just like, exchange uh, candies. And it was unique, Harsh, because, you know, there comes a certain point where, like, you can't you're too old to go trick-or-treating if you're like a 28 year old going trick-or-treating you're you're a weirdo Uh, now you gotta you're you have to be the one that's giving the candy so it's um you can see how different people treat uh halloween like some people don't take it seriously at all but a lot of my neighbors like they went all out like they decorated their house they stood out the entire time and personally handed people candy um so it's an experience man uh and like during that, uh, like during that zone, like we were all watching scary movies, getting hyped. It was a fun bonding experience. I have a lot of pictures, uh, uh, like hanging out with my friends, our costumes. Your boy was always dressing up as the Red Power Ranger, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I can so think you, of a Halloween. Sorry, go ahead. Well, so you never like had to dress up in costumes and stuff. No, 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 no. Is like anyone in India do it? Like, do they open up the malls? Because a lot of the times we'd go, uh, like some people lived in like poor neighborhoods where the people didn't have candy, even like that. So the malls would often like do trick or treating as well. Like they give candy for those people in need. You guys didn't have that? No. 
Okay, so I guess it's a complete U.S. thing. I would say, yeah, it's a U.S. thing. I don't even think the Christians in India do it as much. Although lately, it's like people are just aping the West, so they might be doing it. I don't know. So does it sound weird to you when I'm describing Halloween? Are you no, no, like, what a weirdo? I've or? seen it on TV, so okay. I have like an idea of what you're talking about. Okay. I can say that I can, I can think of a nice business idea, like the chocolate exchange for Halloween. So you don't like the chocolate, we'll like we'll switch it for you, and we'll take ten percent. I was like, so you exchange ten chocolates, we'll take we'll take one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with all the kids, you can exchange chocolates, and like you get like a, you know, like for it's a nice business for a kid on that day. Yeah. Although then he might be left with all the bounties. <laughs> yeah. What they should do is they should sell like the thing that you put uh candy in because some dummies would forget their like you would normally get like a basket to put the candies in right some people would forget so if you're business minded you'd be like i'll send you i'll sell you this it's like you're selling the shovel no like an amm for halloween candy mm-hmm. you know what an amm is right like the automated market maker so for halloween candy so like you, snickers and mars like you have too many mars then you can exchange it for some Snickers and the price of Snickers keeps going up if people keep doing that. So this way you can avoid being like left with all the bounties, like the coconut candy. Yeah, Tootsie Rolls. Ugh. I don't. I remember the bounties. I never liked that as much. Yeah. No, I mean, there were some candies like that and some people like would get so into it. They like the homeowners were, were costumed and they'd scared the kids. Uh so, I mean, it was it was experience, man. I suppose if they grew up in that culture, like they remember having a lot of fun as a kid, then they would be more into it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I recall, like there were some people like that wouldn't give candy. Like they just come home after long days of work. They're like, man, this isn't for me. And some of their neighbors would shame them sometimes. They're like, you're, you're not gonna part- give candy. Like you're not gonna participate in Halloween. Like it's kids that are, you know. It's the one time for the kids. Like, come on, get some candy. Actually, you know what? I'll, I have extra candy. I'll give it to you. The guy's like, nah, man, I'm tired. I just want to uh, sleep. I've been working all day. And they're getting shamed in some ways for not participating <laughs> in Halloween. <laughs> it's like a neighborhood thing, man. I see. I see. Interesting. Arman, I need to get going. I got to have some dinner. For sure, man. Um, uh, this was a fun uh, episode. Oh, we went up to two plus hours. Wait, let me use the banner thing before I forget. I like the new software we're using. We can have more video, and I bet it's more interesting for the listener as well. It's like, show the banner. So do what the banner says, guys. Hit the like, comment, and leave us a subscribe because, you know, this is a new channel, and we could use your subscription. We want to grow the channel. So thank you so much. Do what the banner says, and let me hide the banner now. Wait, let me also play some background music. No. While you say goodbye, it's like D- D- uh, life map money. Single like by day, one? DJ by night. Play There's it. also one called Feeding the Ducks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining the Unapologetic Truths podcast. And be sure to do exactly what Harsh said leave that like, comment, subscribe. And thank you very much for joining the Unapologetic Truths podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.